A troubled young woman is found dead in an Australian luxury apartment complex, having apparently fallen down the building's trash chute from the 12th floor. Yet immediately opinions are divided. Did she jump, or was she pushed? We consider the sad case of Phoebe Hansjuk in this week's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the one and only train wreck of all train wrecks known as Killing, Missing, Hidden, or KMH if you're a cool kid who needs to abbreviate everything. I am Brad. I host the sucker. I'm also a former criminal defense attorney of 10 years, which people tell me I need to mention every episode so I can trick y'all into thinking I have some sort of expertise in all these crimes we talk about. So far it's worked, I guess, so I might as well keep on doing it. All right, enough about how wonderful I am. How are you doing, dear listener? What's new with you? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, shut up for a minute because we need to get on with our episode, okay? Real quick, like, though, I want to remind everyone that we have a Patreon you can join because I know you spend hours each week wringing your hands, wondering how you can find ways to give me money. Well, this is it. The Patreon really consists of a bunch of nonsense with a few quote-unquote real stories um, that are just too extreme for this podcast. It's a beautiful mess. Okay, well, it's a mess at least. And it can all be yours for less than the cost of a Big Mac. You go to patreon.com slash kmhpodcast. But don't, don't join immediately. Wait until the first of the month to sign up. Because as soon as you join, they immediately charge you for the entire month. And since this episode is being released at the end of April, I don't want y'all to, you know, join and then a few days later be charged again. You know, I I may be mannerless, passive-aggressive, snippy, mentally defective, greedy, lazy, a liar, and insensitive, but I am not greedy. Okay, for our episode, let's get into it. Phoebe Hansjuk was born on May 9, 1986, in Melbourne, Australia, to her parents, Natalie and Lynn. Because she was born during the Chinese Year of the Tiger, her mom nicknamed her Tiger Cub. And she was a heck of a kid. She really enjoyed physical challenges, such as rock climbing and hiking. One of her teachers said she had never met a child as strong as Phoebe. As the teenage years took hold, Phoebe was burdened with the typical teenage angst and pressures and problems. While her family described her as romantic, intuitive, and a sensitive soul, she became, quote, quite hormonal, unquote. By the time she was 15, she began hanging out with the proverbial wrong crowd and started experimenting with things such as alcohol, marijuana, ecstasy and speed she ran away from home during this period in her life and actually took up residence with some squatters for eight weeks um and these squatters were an ex-con his girlfriend and their baby when she finally returned home phoebe's parents took her to see a psychiatrist and she was given some medication some antidepressants i believe to help kind of curb the dramatic mood swings and issues with her nerves that she was experiencing. 
By the time she turned 16, Phoebe was in a relationship with one of her teachers, who was almost twice her age. It started becoming clear, too, that she was addicted to alcohol, but was also unusually sensitive to it. And alcohol was cited by her family as a reason Phoebe often made such poor decisions in life. So let's skip ahead a bit so we can get to the meat of our story. 2009. Phoebe was 23 and working as a receptionist at this fancy hair salon in South Yara. It was there that she began dating 40-year-old Anthony Hampel, known as Ant, to his friends. He was the grandson of a retired Supreme Court judge and professor, and the stepson of an active county court judge. As you may guess, he also came from money. He was considered to be smart, handsome, and fun to be around. He was a professional events promoter, which meant that not only did he have his own money, he was often surrounded by glamorous people and friends. Phoebe and Ant dated for about five months before Phoebe decided it'd be cool to live with Ant, so she moved in with him, and he lived in an appropriately luxurious apartment. A friend of the couple, a fellow by the name of Lindley Godfrey, was very surprised by the relationship. He was quoted as saying, quote, I thought Phoebe was just going to shag him and flick him, unquote. What a good little phrase there. Um, the pair didn't seem to be like a match on the superficial level. He spent his nights at clubs and parties, networking with celebrities and bigwigs, while she preferred staying at home, working on her art. You know, he was more of the trendy suit and styled hair guy, while she was more jeans and a ponytail, if that makes sense. And Ant was very particular about his life overall. I developed the opinion that many of his life decisions were calculated to make him look as cool and popular as possible. He insisted his apartment remained spotless. He instructed his maid to make it look like no one lived there whenever she came to clean. He was such a stickler about this that Phoebe had to leave her receptionist job early one day because she just couldn't stand the anxiety of knowing that she had left a stain on one of the rugs when she was running late for work and had to go home and fix it before Aunt got home. Eventually, Aunt convinced Phoebe that she needed to leave her job as a receptionist, which was a job that she really enjoyed, to work for one of his friend's businesses, which I think was something to do with advertising, as the job was more exciting, in his opinion. I don't think Phoebe enjoyed the job nearly as much as she did being a receptionist. Phoebe actually told her therapist that she spent a lot of energy trying to make Aunt happy, and he would be very critical of her failures. So we have a situation that doesn't appear to be a very healthy one for Phoebe. And, as we might expect, she used alcohol to help compensate for the anxiety she was feeling and the issues she was confronting. She often felt really nervous and anxious around Aunt's friends because they were older, more sophisticated, and to her, just rather intimidating. You know, it, kind of in short, it was Aunt's lifestyle made Phoebe feel very insecure, and she put a lot of pressure on herself to live up to being an ideal girlfriend for Aunt, based on this image she had developed in her own mind. 
And sadly, her anxiety and alcohol dependency just grew worse when coupled with these unrealistic expectations. And it got to the point that her, the psychologist she was seeing worried that Phoebe was traveling down a path that could lead to suicide. Godfried, the friend's couple we mentioned earlier, noted that Ant was a very controlling person who needed to have everything in his life just so. He said he really felt sorry for Ant because he knew that Ant was deeply in love with Phoebe, but it was obvious he was in the process of losing her. And in fact, Phoebe had tried to break up with Ant four times over a six-week period, but somehow he always managed her to talk her into staying. Now, these six weeks were very turbulent for Phoebe, as you might imagine, and they also marked the end of her life. She continued drinking and trying to manage her situation while also searching for the inner strength to break up with Ant. Phoebe's mom, Natalie, secretly recorded Ant after Phoebe died, hoping to catch him in some sort of admission as the family was convinced Ant was behind her death. But it was obvious from the tape that he at least acted like he loved her and was devastated by her death. He claimed that Phoebe was drinking almost every day and he was doing his best to get her help with the best doctors and the best therapists he could find, but that the alcohol had become too big a monster for her to overcome. Now, having said that, we are getting this picture that suggests suicide, but there's factors out here, too, that suggest suicide wasn't necessarily on her mind. For example, she had plans to attend her grandfather's 70th birthday party, that was to take place shortly after she was found dead. She had also spoken to her mother the day before her death and agreed to help decorate for her brother's 18th birthday party, which was going to take place that following weekend. So she was making plans. She was looking forward to things. And so we don't have any obvious signs that she was planning to take her own life. Yet, this is exactly what the coroner determined to be the reasons for Phoebe's death. Despite serious and passionate objections from Phoebe's family, other forensic pathologists, and even the coroner's own assistant, the coroner determined that the presence of a high amount of alcohol in her system, she was at 0.16 blood alcohol content, mixed with the evidence of a prescription sleeping drug, suggested to him that she was in a weakened mental state and he theorized she sort of slept-walked her way in this drunken stupor into and down the garbage chute. So, yeah, that's kind of how Phoebe died. She fell down a garbage chute. And she didn't die upon impact, sadly, even though she fell 40 meters, I believe it was, What actually caused her death was she fell into the trash compactor and when she landed, uh, a piece of the machinery essentially severed one of her feet off. And at the crime scene there, or at the death scene, investigators found blood everywhere and evidence that she had drug herself out of the compactor and had drug herself 
to a supply closet door that opened up into the lobby of the hotel, but just didn't have the strength left to open up the door to get the help she needed to live. So the manner of Phoebe's death raised a lot of questions, and we'll start with this shoot itself. The opening was tiny. It was only 37 centimeters by 22 centimeters. And, uh, what some of the locals around here call freedom units. That's about 14 and a half inches by eight and a half inches. Roughly the size of a sheet of legal size paper. It's 14 by eight and a half. This was 14 and a half by eight and a half. How on earth does someone fit through an opening that small? And not only is the opening small, but it has one of those doors on it that pulls out and is has the springs and the hinges immediately slam shut again, kind of like what you would see at a bank or a library. So really the only way Phoebe could have done this to herself was to have pulled open that door, stood on top of it so it stayed open, then jumped down the chute with her arms up like she was on a roller coaster. And all this while she was drunk and after having taken a sleeping pill, which seems a bit tricky to me. And we can make it even trickier. Heck, we can't. The facts do. Phoebe's fingerprints were not found on the chute door. Her fingerprints were not found on the handle of the chute. Her fingerprints were not found on the wall surrounding the garbage chute. And by the by, this chute was over a meter off the ground, over three feet off the ground. So it's not like you something you could just easily step into. It, it would take an effort. And we don't really know how strong that door is. I mean, Phoebe was very small and petite. But assuming she weighed 100 pounds, is a door of that size designed to hold that much weight for as long as it would take her to get in position to slide down the garbage chute? The police made no effort to investigate this case as anything other than a suicide, which is super bad because we don't know how much evidence was not collected. Now, fortunately, Phoebe's grandfather, that one she was set to celebrate his 70th birthday soon, he actually was a retired and very well-respected police detective. So he conducted his own investigation, and because of his status, he had access to or he had more access to, you know, what the police found and what the police were saying than a commoner would. Um, he actually went out to the company that made the trash chutes and asked them to build one for him. And the owner of the company was eager to help. He actually seemed to be annoyed by the fact that the police never contacted him to talk about this crime. Once the chute was built, uh, Grandpa kind of made a replica wall and put the chute into it to try to see if this event could be recreated. He borrowed two of Phoebe's friends to use as guinea pigs and had them try to squeeze through the chute. They were both roughly the same size as Phoebe, so he thought this would be a fair test of whether or not it was possible for a person to put themselves down the chute. Now, both of them got it done uh, without any assistance, but it did take a lot of effort. And they had to kind of hold on to the wall and the chute door for support. 
And frankly, their fingerprints were just freaking everywhere. For funsies, the grandpa then decided to replicate the event, but asked the girls, you know, pretend that you've been knocked out. So they were feigning unconsciousness in his arms, and he was able to feed them through the chute. And he really had no problem doing so, even considering, you know, his age, which was a little advanced. The grandfather also learned that police had found signs of a possible struggle in the apartment. There were some broken glasses and blood droplets throughout the living area. But the police did not consider this evidence to be important and ignored it. Their explanation was, well, it was likely Phoebe broke the glasses in her less than sober state and cut herself on the broken glass. It's worth mentioning, too, that Phoebe's laptop was open and had been in use when detectives arrived, and there were blood drops on it. But again, this didn't worry the police. In fact, the police didn't even bother to seize the laptop to see what evidence it may contain. Oh, and Phoebe's phone was also left behind by police. Further, this apartment building that Phoebe and Aunt lived in was really known for its security. You had to have one of those key fobs, those electronic key fobs, to access really any part of the building. I mean, the pool, laundry rooms, elevators, your own apartment. And of course, computers tracked every person's fob use almost all the time. The only time it was offline is when there was an emergency, so people could get out of the building without having to worry about grabbing their keys or finding their fob. Well, it just so happened the day that Phoebe died, a fire alarm was pulled in the building. Just before noon, fire alarm went off, everybody had to evacuate, and the CCTV cameras around the building caught Phoebe leaving the building while carrying Ant's dog. The cameras also found Phoebe re-entering the building when the all-clear was given. And guess what? Police didn't bother to seize any CCTV recordings as part of their investigation. So within a few weeks, all the evidence that could have been found from those recordings is lost. Like I mentioned before, when they searched the apartment, Phoebe's phone was left there, as were her keys, which had her key fob attached to it. That meant that once she left her apartment, She could no longer get back into it. She could no longer use the elevators. She couldn't get into any part of the apartment complex other than, say, the stairs. And the security system doesn't show Phoebe ever using her fob that day. An ant's fob was only used when he left for work that morning and when he returned home from work that night. We need to talk about the condition of Phoebe's body, too, because it has some, it raises some questions of its own. Phoebe had some unexplained but significant bruising around her arms and shoulders. It was determined by both the police and the coroner that this bruising was not consistent with a fall and would not have been caused by her entering or going down the chute but they couldn't or didn't try to explain where the bruising came from. Additionally, Phoebe's hands were remarkably clean for someone who had gone down a garbage chute. 
everybody who knew something about this shoot, be it police or apartment staff or whatnot, said that the shoot was just filthy. So this indicates she didn't, you know, use her hands to try to stop the fall or slow it down or anything. It was like she was on a water slide and she just went for as much speed as possible. Now, touching back on Ant, he got home just after six o'clock that night, like we mentioned. And he told police that when he entered the apartment, he found it strange that Phoebe was gone and that she had left her keys and phone behind. He also became concerned over the drops of blood he had found on the floor and on her computer. But instead of calling the police, this dude just ordered takeout. And strangely, he ordered takeout just for him. While he waited for the food to arrive, he enjoyed a beer. The delivery took a little bit longer than expected, and when the man finally made it upstairs to Ant's apartment with the food, he mentioned that the lobby of the apartment was like a circus, and that something bad had apparently happened. Ant went down with the delivery man to the lobby to check it out, and learned that a member of the apartment staff had found Phoebe passed out or dead behind the supply room door, that also served into as the entrance to the trash compactor, like we mentioned. The staff member couldn't open the door before noticing Phoebe was right in front of it, so she called police and medical personnel. Now, the police got there first and made a really odd decision, in my opinion. They decided instantly this is a crime scene, and they shut it down, and they wouldn't let anyone near the body. Now, what's odd about this is nobody checked the body when they arrived. For all we know, she could have been alive when police and ambulance personnel got there. But because the police prevented anyone from providing her care, she might have died from that. She may have been able to be saved. I don't know why police made this decision. You know, the police have kind of circled the wagons on this case and aren't talking to many people about anything. But that's just a massive red flag, and I don't know why you would do that. Police also did one smart thing in kind of immediately identifying that she lived with Ant, finding Ant, and questioning Ant. But they let him go after learning that or after hearing him continuously deny having any involvement and when his alibi of being at work all day and not getting home until after six checked out. At this point, I think we should note that the coroner could only pin down the time of death to between 12.03 p.m., which is when everybody was allowed back into the building after the fire alarm was pulled, and roughly 7 p.m., which is when the apartment staff found her body. So there was a small window of time that Ant would have been in the apartment and the coroner's report would say that Phoebe was still possibly alive. However, because the death was ruled a suicide, no further police investigation could occur. And frankly, with how the police were handling this one, I don't know what difference that would have made. Phoebe's family hired some attorneys and attempted to challenge that decision in the courts. But they were advised that there's not really a meaningful way to appeal a coroner's decision. 
And if they tried to do so, it would be very expensive. And if, and they would have a very small chance of winning. And if they lost this case, apparently the statute required them to pay for the coroner's legal fees in defending the action. So they were being advised that, look, this could cost you $100,000 plus if you lose, and there's a very good chance of you losing. Ant made two odd decisions after Phoebe died that we need to mention. First, he was named as the beneficiary of a small life insurance policy that Phoebe maintained. Now, remember, Ant comes from money. He has a lot of money. And this, I never saw a figure, but apparently this insurance policy was small enough that it wouldn't have really, it wouldn't have impacted his life in any way, at least in any obvious way. When the family learned that Ant had received this policy, they asked if he would help with her memorial and burial expenses. And Ant flat out refused. He kept the money for himself, even though he didn't really need it, and it was a small amount given his background. But then, out of nowhere, he just suddenly changed his mind and agreed to give the money, but he would only give it to Phoebe's brothers. She had two brothers. So he split it between the two of them. Now, second and more difficult to understand... The coroner's office released Phoebe's body to Ant, and he refused to allow Phoebe's parents to see her body or to participate in the planning of her burial. But again, after a few days, he abruptly shifted course and allowed Phoebe's parents to take possession of her body. Let's make this a little stranger, shall we? After having, you know, recovered from the loss of Phoebe and moving on with his life, Ant began dating a model by the name of Bally Schneider. And Bally ended up dying under mysterious circumstances as well. That was ruled a suicide. She was found in the living room of the apartment with a gold cord wrapped around her neck. The coroner said she had strangled herself. But here, police couldn't find a way in justifying that decision. Apparently, the coroner's theory involved something along the lines of hanging herself in the kitchen and ending up in this chair somehow. And police said there's no place to hang yourself in the living room or in the kitchen. And just none of it made sense. These odd events between the two deaths really made the public focus on Ant as a suspect who is getting away with a murder. Now, I also found some suggestions that Ant's sister was arrested for being involved in the drug trade somehow, but charges were never pressed due to the damage it would do to her family's reputation. So that kind of raises the specter of, was Ant also involved in the drug trade? And or was Ant never seriously investigated because of his family's reputation in the area? Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that Ant killed Phoebe. But it dang sure looks like Ant killed Phoebe. (laughs) Maybe not directly, maybe he had, you know, like a hired gun to do it, or a friend. 
Something like that. And while I can't say he's guilty, in my opinion, he's done very little to exonerate himself. I mean, I just, what sticks to me most of all, you come home from work, your significant other isn't there, her keys and her phone are, there's blood on the floor, and your reaction is to order food just for you and drink a beer. That, to me, is very alarming. I won't belabor this case because I think most people can see what I see, but I think the killer wasn't Ant. Again, it may have been someone hired by Ant. I don't have any proof of that. That's just speculation. But this killer, whoever it was, whatever their motives, entered the building during the fire, fire alarm. Because, again, security shut off. This could have been easily confirmed had police seized that CCTV footage, but we don't have that, so we don't know. But my, you know, my, my speculation here is this man enters the building, has Phoebe as a target for whatever reason, goes up to the 12th floor, enters her apartment, and hides. After all the hubbaloo over the fire alarm has calmed down, he reveals himself, attacks her, and manages to knock her unconscious. He then takes her unconscious body to the trash chute and dumps her to her doom. The fall then causes her to wake up, but considering the massive injuries she suffered, she's not able to do anything, and she slowly dies in a dark room surrounded by trash. Both Phoebe and Ant were at least consumers of drugs. And there, like I said earlier, there's at least this hint, this scent around Ant that he may have been a bit more involved in the drug business than just as a consumer. Which, to use the phrase again, which you're not supposed to do when you're in public speaking, raises the specter that Phoebe's death could have been related to maybe a drug debt. Um, you know, when you have someone who's a dealer and they're consuming more than they're selling, a lot of times the higher-ups in the drug organization need to make an example to get that person's focus back on the business. Taking revenge out on girlfriends is not unheard of. And we have it happening twice in Ant's life under very unusual circumstances. Again, speculation. Total speculation. We're, but we're stuck here with a tough choice, aren't we? Do we want to believe that Phoebe drunk sleepwalked to the chute and managed to climb in without leaving fingerprints? Or do we want to speculate that her boyfriend would have rather seen her killed than lose her? Now, if you found the story interesting, an Australian media company did an entire podcast series just on this crime called Phoebe's Fall, and they delve really deep into this case. Uh, they do lots of interviews, talk to lots of people, dig up lots of documents. So you may want to check that out if you want to learn a whole bunch more about this case. Also, if you just want another one-shot, uh, the podcast Crime Sidekick did an episode on this case back in March, and they did a really outstanding job in covering it. It's one of their best episodes ever. 
Um, so go go check out that episode again if you just want another quick overview of this case from a different perspective. Now, if you have a theory you'd like to share, hit me up. It's info at kmhpodcast.com. Again, info at kmhpodcast.com. Make sure you're a subscriber to this podcast so you don't miss any of our episodes. Make sure your friends are subscribers too so you all have something fun to talk about instead of the boring, mundane parts of life. Also, we'd like for y'all to join us at Instagram. Follow us there. We're kmh.podcast, which is annoying, but such is life. And we also have our own Facebook group if you want to be a member of the Cool Kids Club. Okay, palate cleanser, and we wrap this one up. This is a short one, but a good one. Hey, Math, why don't you grow up and try to solve your own problems? You know, amen to that one. Everybody in school, everybody who's been through math, we're all applauding that one. Amen. All right, all right, all right. Thank you again for joining me this week. I love it. I love you all for supporting our podcast. Please take the time today to do something nice for yourself. I say it every week, but you really do deserve it. And if we can be happier overall, that makes life better for everybody. You know, even if it's just scratching a kitten's neck or sending me a thousand dollars, you know, it's proven that being generous makes you feel super happy. So give it a shot. Just me looking out for you. That's all that is. Totally altruistic. I have no selfish motives behind this. Okay, kids. I'll be back soon with another tale about something bad. Until then, Brad out. Thank you for listening to Kellen Missing Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.